America. America, my name is Aramiose Frimpong, and you are watching The Black Athenians. I come to you every Friday, you know, about this time. And today we're going to talk about poking the bear. And that's an expression that comes with, you know, if you're in the wild and you see a bear, the bear will may leave you alone. That's fine. Just don't poke him. Don't antagonize her. And that's fine. As long as you don't antagonize the bear, the bear will leave you alone because the bear wants to go along with its life. So that's the story of white supremacy in America. Don't poke the bear. And that is what we're going to investigate. And I'm, I'm, I'm a, as a great poker of bears, I believe in poking bears. I think everyone should poke the bear. Um, I'm going to give you a deeper understanding of how that works after the beat. Knowledge and insight that will help you not squander your life and kind of rescue me. I am back. And so today we're going to talk about poking the bear. I was actually thinking about, uh, I, had, I had to teach class this morning and I was biking home from class and I was thinking about Marx actually. And you know how the, the story goes that before he wrote the communist Ma uh, manifesto and, and, and before he capital, people just kind of assume that, you know, the bosses and the workers are pretty much on the same, on the same team. We just have to work out some differences, but for the most part, they aren't, uh, huge threats to each other once we all realize that we're all in it together as humans. And Marx was like, no. <laughs> the bourgeoisie is ruthless in a revolutionary way. They took out the feudal lords and they will take out any proletariat working class simpletons that get in their way. They care about profit and that's it. Um, they are not, they are your class enemies. If you confuse that, you, you confuse everything. So there's this notion in racial justice space about like how, you know, we're all on the same team together. We're all trying to, we're all trying uh, just to be humans with each other. Um, we just have, we, there's more in common than we have separating us. And I'm here to say no. <laughs> it's not like that. Um, we are not in it together. We have to dismantle hierarchies. Right, and they don't want their hierarchy dismantled, and this is not uh, this is not something that's going to happen with more talk. This is about power and conflict and leaning into your position and using power wherever you have it. Right, so there's this order of white supremacy in the United States where the notion is if you don't poke the bear, you can live an orderly life, and you know, and. You have to watch recent immigrants about this too. Uh, they'll say like, well, you know, you've been other places in the United, other places in the world. The United States is better. So you can actually live better as long as you just let white people have their white supremacy. You get to live a nice, cushy, relatively cushy life. Granted, it's all provisional because of white supremacy. And if for some reason they want what you want, then you, you just let them have it. But for the most part, as long as you don't poke the bear, as long as you don't make them feel... Um, you know, insecure in any way, th like they'll let you have a lot of America, which is pretty cool. 
You don't have to just work hard and keep your head down and let them run things and everything will be fine. And just and, and just keep them nice and everything will be fine. And that is the notion that kind of girds both Southern Democratic and Republican politics and um, and like I said before, like no small number of recent immigrants who uh, were taught just not to poke the bear. They can do a lot fine in the United States as long as they don't poke the bear. And what happens when you poke the bear is things like, hold on, Rittenhouse, right? This the 17-year-old boy who uh, shot three po- uh, shot shot three protesters, killed at least two, and and there, that there's a boy, he's a 17 year old boy, and you know me, I'm one of those people. I poke bears, and that 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 means I actually talk about the problem. And the problem with this boy is that what we should be doing is an autopsy of his family. We should be looking at his mom, looking at all the civic institutions that he was a part of, looking at his church. In a well ordered world. We don't blame 17-year-olds for murder. We figure out what makes a murder a 17-year-old. We want to tell some sort of story about how he was uh, an anomaly and a bad actor, but really, no, he was produced. And the quiet part, which I'm going to say out loud, is we produce them on mass scale. This one like kind of tipped over a little bit, zigged when he should have zagged, but for the most part, he was a large sector, a non-negligible sector of America. And... Americans know this. Americans know this, and they're fine with it because he only gets triggered when you contest white supremacy. So as long as you don't contest white supremacy, you're fine. And there's a way in which there's a Southern populist tradition, right? So there's a, a, a tradition of Southern governors from Big Jim Folsom and Huey Long in Louisiana, Big Jim Folsom in Alabama, and Lester Maddox, and even Zell Miller in Georgia, there's a tradition, not so many in South Carolina, but there's a tradition of Southern populists who actually cared about white poor people and actually, you know, or wanted to democratize power to white people. As long as the Klan kept black people out of what was considered the public, they were, they were pro-public uh, sphere. And I think he would, and the thing about guys like Ben, and there's this famous meeting with uh, Martin Luther King and Big Jim Folsom in Alabama, and he's like, listen, what you need to do is read Gandhi and just do what Gandhi did and not fight back. <laughs> I'll say this again. Big Jim Folsom was in, uh, was the governor of Alabama. He's in a meeting with Martin Luther King, and he's telling Martin Luther King, well, I agree with some things you do, but you just got to read more Gandhi. He really knew what was going on. Just read more Gandhi and do what he did and don't fight back. So that is, I, I think that's pretty indicative of no small number of people who believe in peaceful protests. And they believe in them because what they mean is don't fight back. Just let it go. Let it go its course. It'll happen or it doesn't happen. It doesn't matter. But don't fight back because whatever happens, um, upsetting the bear, poking the bear is more important than your justice. Not poking the bear is more important than your justice. And so when you trigger someone like Rittenhouse, it's your fault for poking the bear. 
You should have just kept everything like copacetic. Don't riot. Don't loot. Don't destroy any property. Just kind of march and then go home and everything will be fine. Maybe you'll get justice. Maybe you won't. But what you won't do is poke the bear. And that's the most important thing. Me, I think what's most important is, is black people being free as a community. And that's going to include poking bears. Because there's this notion that, and you know, yeah, there's this notion that when there's racial justice, somehow white people won't fight back. <laughs> no, they're going to fight back. Occasionally they're going to be triggered. They have an entire institutions organized for this. And if you succumb to that, you're just negotiating with terrorists. If you succumb to that don't poke the bear ideology, you are negotiating with terrorists. You're negotiating your freedom. You're like, freedom's good as long as I don't tick off or trigger Rittenhouse. Freedom's good as long as we don't destroy property. Because if they destroy property, um, Rittenhouse is going to kill us. And if Rittenhouse kills us, it's our fault. Rittenhouse is going to just start killing people. And if Rittenhouse kills people, then it's our fault for destroying property. No, no, you need to secure justice. If you secure justice, then all of your property stays in place. If you don't secure justice, I don't know what's going to happen. And if Rittenhouse starts killing people, that's not on us. That's on the state for not securing justice. I blame the protesters. I blame the rioters zero. I blame the rioters zero. We have a calamity in this nation. America should be lucky that it only gets off with a few riots. I said it. We have a calamity in this nation. America should be lucky. The standing poverty that we, in degradation, not just poverty, the standing degradation and poverty that we're just comfortable with, uh, with respect to entire black communities is a shame. And, and it's just, I think every day that America doesn't burn, like people should be constantly thanking black people. You're welcome. I like to take my thanks in cash. So go ahead and go to www.thefunkyacademic.com because by the time, depending on who you talk to, I am making myself down white unemployable by talking like this. But I think it's the truth and I think the people need to know. And the people need to know the truth and the truth is I think Rittenhouse is, is a symptom of a sick America and it's not our fault. Like we, it's, it's not our responsibility to, to stop demanding justice as forcefully as we may um, just because it may trigger a Rittenhouse. And we will not be uh, cowed by the fear of triggering a, 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 a little boy murderer. And so what, here's what America does. It produces little boy would-be murderers as a strategy to um, negate any racial justice claims and neuter any racial justice claims. Right. So the idea is that, well, you know, you can't really forcefully press your rights because if you forcefully press your rights, one of these little white supremacists is going to go nuts and start shooting people. And we can't have that. So you be quiet. It's Big Jim Folsom. Just don't fight back. Um, it'll be over. <laughs> you'll just die. And if you go to the church, it's, it's all right. You'll just die and go to heaven and it'll be over. Just 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 lay back and take it. Um, and I think that's inappropriate. Instead, we should be, pro uh, I'm going to get the picture because it's so good. Instead, we should be practiced in poking bears and we should, we should actually aggressively seek autopsies 
um, of what happens, like how these people are created, what goes into a written house. Because he's 17. At 17 years old, you're not, um, you're not even... You're not even an adult for a reason. You're not considered an adult for a reason. And I, and I think we should look at his formative factors. Because if you notice in this picture, what, there's, like he's, there's him in a little junior police uniform. And like there's his mom. And we back the blue. This is from his mom's webpage. So like, I don't know. She should be charged with something. An accessory or, or, or like excessively bad parenting. I, I, Charged with something. I don't know if she should go to jail, but she should have to, you know, take some sort of penance, public, take some sort of public responsibility for for what she has like unleashed on this nation. And I bet you the only thing you'll get from her is like, I didn't know that he was going to kill a white people. <laughs> I wasn't training him to kill white people. Oh, oops. But the thing about kids like Rittenhouse is they're like fire. Um, you can't really, it's un fundamentally uh, uncontrollable. So you can't really be surprised when one of the targets isn't who you thought the target should be. I'm trying to get a picture of someone poking a bear and I want this to be a role model. I want the, this, should, this picture, the, the picture I um, I'm about to show you guys should be on the, uh, on every school on every school building and you're going to be you're going to be tickled when you when you, when you see the picture I'm I'm talking about it should be on every in every school classroom and it should be in every lunchroom and it's this this should be like your life goals <laughs> like, like that should be in every kid's classroom. That should be in every kid's lunchroom. That should be like in the principal's office. That's that's that should just be everywhere. That this this is this guy should be have his own like like I don't know. There should be a calendar. Um, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. We need to lionize and respect people who poke bears. Because freedom's only going to come from poking bears. Right? And if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> you should just punch it. And he's fine. He's still, uh, and he's still, he's alive. I think, I think he's, I think he's fine. I think nobody took him out. Not everybody. They might take me out. They'd have to find me first, but I'm not that hard of a guy to find. I do teach classes at a university. They'd have to find, they might take me out, but they can't take everybody. So this guy survived. So you keep punching and you keep poking and pretty soon you'll get justice because outside of that, you're just a terror, you're, you're, you are a terrorized human being and your freedom's only circumscribed by like avoiding the evil eye. There's this funny part. Dr. Bobby Wright talked about how he grew up in a little black town in Alabama. I might've been Mississippi. Little black town in Mississippi. And uh, I can check that out right now. And he's like, the one reason why we survived and we stayed is that we stayed, white people didn't know about us. Fuck the Bobby Wright. Yeah, uh, Hobbsbaum. Hobbsbaum. Uh, Hobbsbaum City, Alabama. He was like, well, we survived and we were a little black town and we did great because white people didn't know about us. 
And like that's one way to survive, but that's not the best way to survive. I don't think. That's not living out loud. That's living provisionally. That's, you're always, um, and I think we're learning right now, black people, there's always a different name for it every generation, but pretty much we're provisional Americans. That means we get to survive and we get to thrive until we have something that white people want and then they just come and take it. If it's 1920, if it's, you know, antebellum South, it's, it's, it's slavery. But then after that, it's the end of Reconstruction or the Wilmington um, Massacre at the end of Reconstruction where, like, we thought we were free until we ran for office and then we were elected. But then white people said, like, no, there are too many of you elected. So they just ran off all the elected officers. That's, um, yeah, the Wilmington Massacre in North Carolina. And then there's, like, after that, there's the Tulsa riots where, like, we thought we were free. And then what happened was, like, white people wanted it, so they just took it and the big, all the guns and planes dropping bombs. It's a great interview where some guy says, we were almost in it. I thought we were in it until they started dropping bombs. And then, like, what are you going to do? Um, and then there's, uh, that's always contrasted with uh, Raleigh. Or is it Durham? It might be Durham. One of those places where black people had money and a, a solid class, but they hid it because they didn't want the evil eye of, of white people seeing that they were actually not degraded. And, but that's not freedom. If you got to hide what you have, you can't live out loud, then you're not free. You're just you're, you're hiding and you're just hoping that they don't find out. In Africa, they call it the resource curse when we talk about, like, you can live in, like, a nice little country in Africa, but then once they find out that you have, like, some sort of rare minerals, then, like, American and Chinese companies and European companies get their eye on your company, on your, on your, on your township, and then that's called the resource curse. And then all of a sudden, you're dealing battle with, like, transnational guns and money that all want what's under your ground. So um, that, living, that living in fear of the evil eye, in, that living in fear of white people kind of finding out that you have something that you, they, they want, that's not real freedom. Real freedom means being able to you know, live your life, know that you have something that they want, and then be able to defend your life when they try to take it. And until you can do that, you're not free. But there's this notion that, look, just don't poke the bear, don't live out loud, don't make white people feel badly, and then they will be fine with you and you can live a quietly, like, nice life, actually. Pretty orderly life. Do well in school, get some nice job kissing some guy, white guy's butt. Um, keep your mouth shut and you could do very well in America and that's the American dream, right? No, the American dream is freedom and that's not freedom. You, you, you can't be scared to tell the truth and you can't be scared. So this notion of not poking the bear and if you provoke a written house, it's your fault. You remember I got, I got in trouble what, a year and a half ago just because I said, and I was right. If we're serious about racial justice, that means we need to actually understand that some white people may have to die. And you know what? What happened? We got serious about racial justice and some white people died last weekend. I didn't say black people were going to kill them. <laughs> I just said that we can't be surprised when it costs white life. So, you know, that's the price of racial justice because we make written houses institutionally it's not as if he was a one-off and we can't pretend that he was a one-off um 
So I I hope I am I am I I hope it's important that I hope it's important that I've communicated that our justice claims cannot be held hostage to the threat and the specter of of Rittenhouse because they make Rittenhouses on purpose. And sure, this kid will take all the blame, but he's a kid. His job is to be a potential murderer, a murderer in potential. They make potential murderers on purpose so that we don't ever get out of hand in our, in our claims for racial justice. And it's a lot cheaper and easier to make potential murderers than it is to actually secure racial justice. Right. And this actually, there's an analogy to uh, a book, Private Government, written by Elizabeth Anderson. Towards the end, she talks about an Amazon company that has HVAC, that, that had to decide whether to put like an HVAC system in the warehouse or just have ambulances outside so that when people stroke out, they can just be whisked to the hospital. And it was a little bit cheaper to just park ambulances outside for, the, for people to be whisked out to the hospital for when they stroke out. So that's kind of like Rittenhouse. We could actually secure black people justice, but it's also, it's just easier to, uh, you know, prevent, to, to make like potential terrorists and then just deal with a potential terrorist when one pops off. If the end is just all black pacification. We can either pacify black people by securing them rights, or we can pacify black people by making, like, bringing people really close to terrorism, and then um, every now and then there'll be terrorists, and black people will just stay in line, knowing that if they act out, there's a written house. Now, I've been very honestly honest about my life insurance policy. My life insurance policy is telling you right now, in plain English, I am a very healthy man um, with a family who loves life. So if anything happens to me, it's not by my hand and I do not forgive anybody. I do not want to pray for peace. I want you to burn all of it down. Burn all of it down. Burn it down. Whatever it is, it goes down. Because I'm just trying to be free. And if you support me being free, once again, just go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in $5, $15, or $50 a month because I try to give you the quality of uh, political knowledge that you need. And freedom will not come by just pretending that we're all on the same side. It's, you know, that's one thing you can take from Marx. We need to be honest about the ruthlessness of the prestige industry that is the, uh, like the racial hierarchy in America and, and how... They're fighting for a way of life, and they will do anything to sustain that way of life, and that way of life includes a racial hierarchy that includes black degradation. Definitely not sharing power with black people in any meaningful way. Right? So they'll share power with like an Obama or Kamala Harris. <laughs> they love their black lady cops, but um, they're not going to share any power with anyone who actually wants to empower black people as a mass and communities and people who actually can contest their aspirations and aims. Because now they call it gentrification. Before, they just call it running out. Whatever, it, it always ends with black people just kind of moving when white people want what they want. And so they just tell black people, just like, don't fight back and just move. But no, we're gonna, let's fight back. Let's stay where we are. Let's say what we say. Let's protect our way of life. And let's, let's actually cultivate and develop a way of life, which since we never get to do so, because as soon as we start cultivating our way of life in a meaningful way, 
like we have to do it in secret or which is not free or we do it and then um, we get terrorized out of it. So please poke bears. P please look at this man as a symbol of what we need to do to be free. And anyone who tells you anything otherwise is not, doesn't really care about your freedom. They're just maybe trying to secure your comfort or your safety, but, you know, safety and freedom are not identical. Um, thank you for your time. I'll see you next week. Peace.